What is going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. I am very grateful to have your attention, at least for the next 15 minutes of this episode. Forward Thinking Founders is a podcast where I interview pre-seed and seed stage founders about their products, what they want to build into the world, and why. We dive into how they spend their time, what's their vision, what's the origin of stories, all these things, so you can learn all about what's coming tomorrow. Because these companies haven't hit critical scale yet. Most of them haven't hit product market fit. These are just early stage companies, and the big question is, what can this be? And in this podcast, we bring that out. So with that, I really hope you enjoy your time listening to today's episode. And I've already done 200 plus, so if you like this one, listen to some of the other ones, like with Imadi Kuhn, Austin Allred, Leah Culver. We have great interviews, so check it out. Enjoy the repository, and for now, let's get into today's episode. Here we go. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to, where we talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Allison Byers, who's the founder of Scroobius. Welcome to the show. How's it going, Allison? Thank you for having me. It is going great. How about you? It is going very well. I have my cup of coffee at the ready, excited to take on the morning and learn more about what you're working on with Scroobius. For people that don't know, what Scroobius is, they haven't heard of it. Can you kind of share what you're working on with it? Absolutely. Uh, So Scroobius is a fairly new company. I founded it um, at the start of 2020 to address the funding gap for under-networked founders by using video and data science to facilitate connections where networks have failed. So I'm working on building an efficient and human-first way to connect diverse founders with investors who are looking to source outside their own networks. So right now, um, I'm running a closed beta on a prototype platform. So I guide early stage founders through crafting a pitch deck and then recording a video of themselves delivering the pitch alongside their slides. And investors can browse and watch these compelling pitches and reach out to founders if they're interested in learning more. So I'd love to hear how a founder could try this, then how you get investors on board. Um, so what types, like, can, can any founder try this in the world? Is it, do they need an invite? What, is there certain industries that you're looking for, um, for people to hop on? Um, I guess I'd love to learn more about the founders that you want to kind of use this and then a little bit more on how it works. Sure. Um, So right now, because I'm just on a prototype and I'm testing um, my own hypotheses and doing kind of this closed beta round, I'm inviting investors or (laughs) inviting both investors and founders to be part of it. Anyone can apply on our website and fill out a waitlist form. I'm not um, excluding anyone, although I am focused on U.S.-based companies right now because that's where my investors are comfortable investing, but we plan to expand once we do a, a formal launch. Um, I am industry agnostic. So one of my big beliefs in the field is platforms that tout how they only accept a small percent of companies or they're really hyper-focused. Um, they're, they're putting a filter on what types of opportunities investors can see. And there are millions of startups out there in the U S millions of early stage investors, not exaggerations. Who, I don't want to be the one to say what's the right opportunity for what investor. Um, so I only restrict those um, companies that they, they have to be investable. They have to be incorporated. They have to be, you know, running an actual business. They have to be able to take that money in from investors, make it worth an investor's time and be fully committed. Um, but otherwise, I, I don't have exclusion criteria. 
And then on the investor side, um, is it kind of similar where, um, like if, if someone, if an investor is listening, I know I have a lot of investors listening to the podcast, they can apply to kind of get on and then they can kind of get these, would you call them like pitches? Are they, um, I guess, what do you call the, um, I guess the, the user experience of when a founder, you know, sends information to an investor is like a pitch? Yeah, so it's a high level pitch. So I work with the founders to create their high level pitch deck. So it's trying to recreate that first pitch experience, which is super relevant today because we can't have in-person meetings or if we do, they carry risk, right? It's much harder, everything is virtual uh, and your time is really precious. So it's meant to recreate that first pitch. That's how I coach the founders. If you were lucky enough to get this investor in a room to hear your five minute pitch, this is it. So an investor can watch 12 really compelling high-level pitches in an hour and decide if they want to follow up. And then if they do, it's worth their time. They've seen the pitch. It's worth the founder's time. They've watched your pitch and they know it's relevant to them. And then your first meeting can be more like a second meeting. So it's a much more effective use of both parties' time. I'd love to hear a little bit about the origin story for this and like why'd you want to get started with Scrubius? Yeah, so prior to founding Scrubius, um, I co-ran a startup medical device company for four and a half years, where we ended up raising 9.6, but it really opened my eyes to how incredibly inefficient the whole fundraising process is. It's inefficient for the founders, it's inefficient for the investors, uh, and it was really grueling. And any founder knows when you go through this fundraising process, it's so stressful, it takes all of your time, you can't operate your company because you're fundraising. Uh, and the investors wanna see that you're operating your company. It's this like no win game. Um, and it really um, hinges on your network, which is to the detriment of underrepresented groups. Um, and I felt this a lot myself being a female fundraiser. Uh, and it, it, it just got me very passionate about the entire topic of helping underrepresented founders enter these closed investor network circles in a really meaningful way. And there's also a lot of investors out there who want to diversify how they source, but there isn't an efficient channel for them to do it either. So I had all of this going through my head at my last company where, you know, I'd be awake at night and thinking like, somewhere in this country, someone is passionate about what I'm doing and would want to fund it. They don't know about me and I don't know about them. And why is that how we do things today? We're, right, I'm taking all these meetings, I'm flying across the country because of warm introductions, which are great, but I wasn't in those investors' thesis to begin with. So it, it really wasn't a good use of anybody's time. Uh, and there's no central or kind of efficient or human-first platform to do this. The first step of sending your pitch deck out to someone is so cold, and investors look at it for an average of 3.4 minutes. How can you get across who you are and your passion and your character? You can't. Right, it's the wrong medium and it's the wrong approach to it. So I had all these thoughts in my head and I kind of validated the idea over the course of a year and got so passionate about the topic and saw such a need and a response from those I was talking to that I decided to, to take a leap and start a company. And how have you, as you kind of 
uh, gone into Scroobius and you know been started working on it. What have been some of the things that you've learned about the venture capital industry that maybe you didn't realize before you started like working in it? Um, or what are just some of the things you learned in general since starting Scroobius about the market, about founders, about investors? What are the learnings that you've come across so far? Sure. So one big learning is that investors have a hard time considering the fundraising process itself as an industry, but it completely is. And it's funny to think of how focused investors are on innovation and funding innovation, but when it comes to innovating their own processes, it really falls behind, which is an opportunity. There's so much to do in this space. And I think especially now where there's this spotlight on supporting underrepresented groups in a way that there hasn't been before, um, it really can impact some meaningful change. So I'm excited about that shift. Um, another thing that I've learned is working with founders. A lot of founders are afraid of building a pitch deck. They maybe don't have the business background or if they're underrepresented or under-networked, they don't have the mentors around them to teach them what should go in it or the you know VCs who they can talk to to show them the content they're looking for in a deck or sometimes they just don't even know how to use PowerPoint and they're afraid of that format because it's not going to look right. So there are a lot of reasons that founders with really solid businesses who should be able to get that first meeting don't and it all centers around the pitch and and like what a silly reason to not get a first meeting. Um, so that's been a big learning too, and it's um, made me focus a lot on this education process and creating some structure and guidance and templates for founders that are hands-on that they can use to create a pitch. So that isn't such a scary part of it, right? Really, really helping taking that scary away. Uh, and investors have been really open to that too, which has been great to see that they're working to demystify this process and make them less scary they're just people too and there, there's a lot of misconceptions out there on both sides i think yeah as people listening to the podcast you know over the last several months or even years for long-time listeners they know that i like align a lot with this topic this with this realm of like inefficiency in venture capital ways you can innovate on it etc and it just it's so cool to know that there's you know people like you working on this you know, almost like it's almost like this. How, how can the problem exist when venture capital is aimed to like invest in inefficient processes and like overlooked markets? And like they might be one of the overlooked, most overlooked market out of all of them, um, which I think is kind of like, have you, I mean, have you, I'm curious, as you've talked to investors about this, um, not raising, but just like to get on the platform, have you found there's some element of a blind spot with them or are they also like oh like totally get this i'm getting on this needs to exist like i'm curious what is it like interfacing with vcs about a, pl a platform like this so for the most part <clears throat> early stage investors and it's not just vc right it's angel investors or it's micro funds there's a really long tail when it comes to more individual or smaller check sizes where they're they're more mission driven that they don't need that five to seven year return horizon um, they've been overwhelmingly supportive and they understand that there is the need. Um, but there's common concerns, right, about investors wanting to or being willing to pay for software or being willing to invest in these types of platforms. Um, and you also come away with two different kind of viewpoints, although I have to say I, it, it's been overwhelming, the response when I 
I've talked to now hundreds of investors in this process, and it, it's so heartwarming that people are are wanting to support this type of work. Um, but you do kind of have two schools of thought in the area that I'm working in and finding these uh, underrepresented groups or under network founders or sourcing outside of your own network. Um, one is the human first approach, which is what I take, which is putting the person back into the pitch process, which is, I feel like they've really been removed and it's a disservice to those who can't, they never get the opportunity to show their character, which is ranked as just as important as the business model if you're an early stage company, right? It's the ability of the founder to execute. You're putting your investment and your capital toward a person. Um, so I really focus on, on that route uh, with the video, although I do have a lot of data and data science behind it. Um, and then there are others who want to take the person out of it completely. And they think that's a more just way to find uh, cold opportunities is to just look at the business metrics and facts and numbers and not know a single thing about the founding team until they've passed that stage of evaluation. Um, so I guess that that's really where I would find some pushback, but that's a that's so far been a minority of cases for me. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's good to hear. Um, I think all sorts of VCs have all sorts of opinions on this. And if you're attracting the ones that that are supportive and like, like that there actually needs to be innovation in the venture capital industry, like that's, that's fantastic. And like, I, I hope that most founders find these VCs and work with them. Um, because there, there's some VCs that I, I know of that like, like how it is, they don't want it to change, maybe because they're already on the, they don't need it to change, right? They kind of got theirs. And I think that it's up to, you know, the, uh, the, the startups, you know, to, to innovate on the model, right? I'm curious, how did you come up with your name? Like you're, you're working in this super in interesting industry, one that I care a lot about, but then you got this like fun, unique name. And can you kind of share how you got to Scroobius? Yeah, I get asked that all the time. And I love that question. So when I was coming up with the company and the name I was going to incorporate, you know, the first thing you have to do is make sure your domain is available. It's like the thing you have to do today. So I went through every combination of words or, you know, combining words that had to do with my space with platform and capital and network and all this kind of stuff. And nothing was available at all. Um, and so I took a different approach and um, there's a poet that I like named Edward Lear. He's a 19th century children's poet. And part of what he liked to do was come up with new words. He'd make up words and they would enter vernacular. Um, a lot of people would know him. He's the one that wrote like, there once was a man from Nantucket, that line of poems, the owl and the pussycat. So people know his work, but, but not his name a lot. Um, but he has a poem called The Scroobius Pip. And the poem it's like two pages it's all about this creature that enters the animal kingdom and it's a little bit of every type of animal and all the animals try to classify it they say what are you are you an insect or you know what how, what bucket can we put you in which of us are you and they can't it just keeps saying well i you know i'm the scroobius fifth this is what i am uh, and at the end they all celebrate it for what it is that it is unique and it is not any part of them and it's happy and it's a celebration and it really resonated with me and I thought you know what we should all be able to be scroobious we're all our own and just because you don't pattern match or you don't you know fall into a bucket that investors are used to seeing that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be celebrated that doesn't mean that you don't have a unique point of view uh, and that's really the what makes an undervalued asset class right are these scroobious people who have a unique view into something that uh, investors don't, and they can capitalize on it in a big way. 
and I've also had a lot of people ask me if it's for screw bias, which I hadn't thought of before, but sure. <laughs> yeah, that, that can work too. No, that, 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 that's awesome. I, I, I like that a lot. It's a great story. Um, I, I have one last question before we go into the final couple. And it's, um, you know, obviously, you're, you, as you mentioned, you're working with tons of underrepresented founders, people that, that, that may not fit the like pattern matching or, or anything of that sort. Um, if you've, um, you know, underrepresented founders that are listening to this podcast that are trying to break in, maybe they're, you know, in Phoenix, maybe SF or maybe across the world. Um, what kind of advice would you would you give them as they go on their entrepreneurial journey? Um, and this can go for any founder at all, but if someone that doesn't match the typical filters like Stanford grads, CS, whatever, do you have any advice um, for these people to, to, to build a great career in entrepreneurship and for startups? I think the best advice is really to find your peer group. A lot of us who don't pattern match, not only are you not in investor circles, but you aren't in other founder circles or people in your industry operators. And it is so important. That's how you learn so much about how, how to do <clears throat> simple everyday things that you need to that you didn't know before. Or it's how you learn to get your confidence and speak in a way that is meaningful and imparts that you know what you're doing and people should listen to you, right? And a lot of the times these founders could be young and they don't have the backing behind them and they have a lot of imposter syndrome or they don't have that confidence. Even just the way you speak and project imparts to an investor that they should talk to you and it's worth it. Um, or I am very vocal as well about moms and mom founders and women in the workforce. I think we're about to enter a crisis where a lot of women have to leave because of what's going on. And I mean, I've got two kids and remote schooling starts next week and I'm, you know, we're all freaking out about it. What, what is this going to look like? Um, but we can do it and, and we should, and people should support us, but it, it comes from having those around you that hold you accountable and teach you, you know, that they, they're doing it and you can do it too. And then, you know, as you build, uh, as you build that Scroobius, you know, that like you'll, you'll be wanting to, in some ways, give that kind of advice to founders, but at like a large scale through your product, right? Like impacting as many founders as you possibly can. So that kind of leads me to, to one of my last questions, which is, you know, in five, 10 years, what does Scroobius look like? Or I guess in other words, what's the big vision for what you're, for what you're doing and what direction are you rowing in? Yeah, so the big vision for Scroobius is to use the data that we collect about how investors are engaging with these videos, right? We, we track everything. We also give some information back to founders about um, on aggregate how investors are watching their video uh, so they, they can be more informed. But it's to use all of this to build uh, personalized predictive algorithms so that eventually, kind of like Netflix does, we can show uh, investors opportunities that they might be interested in based on what they have viewed in the past. So make it hyper personal and relevant. And again, it's all about that efficiency in helping connect opportunity to capital where it's relevant. Um, and also have some macro data on trends and diversity in sourcing and what, what, what is resonating with people? What are people looking at? And identify some intangible variables about pitches that aren't just the straight facts, because we all know it's people-based, right? This is the people business, it's relationship-based, and we should be including that information in how we consider things. So my hope is that there's a standard of video pitches instead of uh, pitch decks 
because you can communicate so much more information and humans are meant to consume visual information, you can impart impact. Um, and that investors turn to it as a really good way to find opportunities that they otherwise wouldn't have known about and for founders to be able to reach those investors in a meaningful way. And to make that happen, you will need some help, um, you know, from investors, from, you know, founders, from employees, you know, as you keep growing. So for my last question is, how can the forward thinking founders community help you? Do you even ask for people listening um, that, that might allow us to help you in any way? Um, I guess, uh, how can we help? Absolutely. I would love some help. <laughs> so I've got uh, three asks, I guess. One would be just sign up for my newsletter. Go to, go to scroobius.com um, and you'll see a pop-up, all different kinds of ways you can sign up for the newsletter so you can stay informed. I, you know, send them once a month. It's not spammy. It's from me personally. Uh, and the two other asks are for founders to sign up for my beta waitlist and for investors to sign up for the beta waitlist. I look at every single application um, I, and I'm always looking for more people to sign on. Uh, right now we're running it as a free beta program that won't last forever, but I encourage people to sign up as soon as they can to be part of that uh, free test. And um, I, that, that would be super helpful for me. And then last question is if someone wanted to try that out to, 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 to apply to just kind of learn more about what you're doing, where can they find you online? Do you have a URL? Are you on social media? Do you have an email? How can people connect? Yep, so the website is the best place to go, www.scroobius.com, um, and you'll find the applications there. You can find me on Twitter. I tweet fairly often, um, and tip for founders, investors love Twitter. They are super active on it, and it is a great way to network right now. <laughs> um, so you can get me at AP Buyers. Um, and those, those are probably the, the best ways, or you can email um, info at Scroobius comes to me. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. This was great. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the episode of Forward Thinking Founders. If you're sitting there and you're just saying, Matt, I want more. How can I get more? Well, luckily, you can get it at Forward Thinking City. Forward Thinking City is a community for the Forward Thinking Network, right? And we have multiple different aspects of the city. One, we have AMAs. Some of the previous guests that have been on the podcast, like Jonathan Barkle, Kristen Anderson, Austin Allred, come back and they do AMAs with the residents. You can ask them any question that you want, right? You can ask them about fundraising raising the early days how they got their customers we do these every single week with another you know really great founder that has been on the podcast additionally um, we have our pitch battles right so if you want feedback on your pitch and the opportunity to potentially pitch in front of VCS and talk one-on-one -on -one with venture capitalists this is where to do it these are monthly pitch battles so if you don't get in the first time try again right the goal is to improve and get feedback to eventually one, raise, uh, get, get into the room with the VCs. Two, raise capital. Three, so you can get back to your company and building a great startup, building a great business. The last thing I'll mention is that if you are kind of interested in just community, we have our coffee hours and happy hours where you can meet other residents, learn about what they're working on, talk about social things, anything you want. This is a city for founders. It is for investors. It is for startup enthusiasts. It's for anyone that loves startups. So if you're interested in what I'm saying, 
go to forwardthinking.city and join the city for $15 a month. Um, you know, the way, the reason I charge is because I want to be able to do this full time and bring as much value as I possibly can. And I think it's well worth the value. You can ask any of the current residents and they will attest to that. So go to forwardthinking.city. Join the city, and you'll see immediately the, the next AMA, the next pitch battle, the next event, and I hope to see you there. Forward thinking dot city. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.